Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are in our Joshua series. So what we've been looking at is the book of Joshua, and we're talking about the new creation that God uh, is creating his people to be. The, the wandering series that we did before this series was all talking about the preparation and transformation of God's people to make them the kingdom of priests, the holy nation, so that he could glorify himself through them and show the rest of the world who he was. Uh, and we, So we covered that in the wandering series, what God was doing before this, and now we're looking at in Joshua, the Israelites, as they enter the promised land and, and take this nation, and we talked about how God is claiming land for his people and claiming land for himself, uh, for the rest of the world to get to know who he is. Uh, and so last week we talked a little bit, Kelly was explaining the barrier, the, the major barrier that before they crossed in was the Jordan River. And it's kind of cool because that's the barrier that they crossed when they came out of slavery, if you remember. They came out of slavery, they, cro- they passed through, not the Jordan River, but they passed through the Red Sea. And now as they're entering the promised land, it's kind of bookending this season of life where God has been preparing and transforming them and they're crossing water again and now into the promised land uh, as the people that God had called, him, called them to be. Uh, but before they go in, they must be led by God and so the Ark of the Covenant comes in and God breaks the barrier and crosses it so that they can enter the promised land. We're going to look at that story of them crossing the river, uh, and we're going to look at what God tells them to do in that, and we're going to uh, learn something, hopefully, today, uh, about how we are supposed to have a relationship with God and how we are supposed to be His people. So we're going to look in Joshua chapter 4, and before we dive in, I'm going to pray, okay? God, uh, this is your time. This is your service. We give it over to you. We've all come here to learn and grow, and um, I just pray, Lord, that you can meet us here and and grab a hold of our hearts, help us learn, help us not just hear words, um, but to really interact with them and be changed by them. So, God, I just pray, Lord, that you can, Holy Spirit, move in this place and uh, speak through me in this moment and, and help us grow in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we're going to look in Joshua chapter 4, and we're going to go verses 1 through 10. We're just going to read this story of what happened here. starts, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. And bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When, you, when your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Lord were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua had commanded. They and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them 
over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. All right, so there's three aspects that I want to examine this story and take, pull lessons from. Uh, the first one is, as you notice, as we just read right there, that the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant didn't just cross the Jordan. What did they do? They sat in the middle of it. They, they were the first ones to step in. As, we, as Kelly was talking about last week, that God was going before Israel, that he was leading his people, and, and the Ark of the Covenant was representative of who God was, and so God was leading his people across the barrier. But the priests that were carrying the Ark, they had to s- step in first. They had to be the ones prepared to see God move, and so they had, enough, had, to, had to have enough faith to get their feet wet to see how God was going to provide. And as they stepped in, the waters held back. And then, not just that, not just them being able to cross the Jordan, they had to stay there in the middle of the river while hundreds of thousands of Israelites passed by behind them. They had to stay in the river. So they didn't just have to go into the river and cross the river. They had to stay in the river. They had to wait. And then not only did they have to wait for the hundreds of thousands of people to cross over into the promised land, they also had to wait for 12 men to come in and grab these large stones that God had commanded them. And then beyond that, they had to wait for Joshua to set up stones around them because Joshua was, they they were called to take stones with them to their camp and set up stones there. But Joshua also goes in and sets up stones where they were standing in the river. And you got to imagine the whole time they're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like hurry up. <laughs> I don't know how much longer this river is going to hold up. I mean, it takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of courage to stand in that river. It takes courage to cross a river, I imagine. But how much more faith to stay in that river, to hold your ground, to wait while everyone's passing by and, and they're grabbing these rocks and now Joshua's setting up these stones and the whole time the priests are just got to be like, okay, man, <laughs> how much longer? And I mean, the Ark of the Covenant is probably not light. They're holding this thing this entire time, standing on a dry riverbed, not sure when God's going to just release the waters. This is what I'm thinking. I, th- I believe in you. I believe in all of you. I don't even know most of you. <laughs> no, I, I, believe, I believe in you. I believe you have enough faith to cross the river. I think if God called us to go and he called us to cross this, this body of water, especially, you know, the creek outside, that's not too far. Like, that's not that much water. We could do it. I believe in you. I believe you'd have enough faith to trust God to cross the Jordan. I don't know how many of us would have enough faith to sit in it. I don't know how many of us would be willing to stay in that tension. And let me tell you this. I've experienced this in my own walk with God. I've, I've experienced this in my relationship with him where 
I think we have the idea that we're willing to do something uncomfortable. We're willing to do something risky, dangerous, hard, trusting that God will provide and take care of us. I'm not sure how many of us are comfortable saying, okay, I'll stay in that spot. I will live in that place until you accomplish what you want. And this is, this is one of the, the tough things that we get into in our relationship with God. And I know that, because I've experienced this in my life, is that I'm, I am always willing to be like, yeah, God, I'll, I'll cross that Jordan. Yeah, I'll do that. I have enough faith to get me across. But then sometimes God calls me to wait, to live in the tension of trusting him, that I'm not just getting to the other side, that I'm staying right where I am, trusting that he's going to keep holding back the waters. That's a lot harder to do. Now, in this story, only four of them had to do it. Only four of them had to stay there. So maybe we don't all have to have that faith, that trust in the Lord, that we can stay inside the river and trust that God's going to keep holding the waters back. But wouldn't it be cool if we all did? What could God do with a group of people? What could God do with a church that had enough faith, not just to cross the Jordan, but to stay in it? and wait for him to accomplish what he wanted. That's, that's the first lesson that I want us to pull from this, is learn from those, pri- those priests. The second thing that I want to talk about is the first command God gives them. God gives them a command to take stones from the riverbed and bring them to their camp. And this isn't the the first time this has happened where they're setting up stones to remember something. In Exodus 24, Moses, right after the Israelites receive the the law and they say, we we accept this. We agree to the terms and conditions of this relationship with God. They agree to it. And and Moses sets up 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And so this is the second time that they're remembering a a specific moment and God is calling them to grab these stones, big, heavy stones carried on their shoulders outside of the river and set them up at their camp so that they can remember what God has done. I have a a picture of some standing stones so you can get a kind of feel for this. This isn't this isn't these stones. Uh, this is in Gezer. It's also in Israel. And you can go to Israel and see these standing stones. And, and so these are a common marker for something significant that happens. It's usually a religious experience that someone is, happening, someone is having, and they're marking it with these standing stones. They put them on end so that you can see that something happened here. There's nothing written on them. There's nothing that says what, what happened. It's just a, a marker, a moment, a monument to say something happened here. And it's supposed to draw the person to ask the question, what happened here? And the person, hopefully someone, who knew what had happened there would explain the story of what God had done at that particular place. And so this is kind of like what they were expected to do was to set up stones like this so that they would remain as a monument and remember what God had done for them. And I think these stones, in particular, these 12 stones, don't just represent the crossing of the Jordan. It represents the entire journey that they had been on leading up to this point. You realize the significance of this moment? They're in the promised land. Hundreds of years before, God had promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit this land, and now they're there. 
God had taken them up out of slavery, brought them through 40 years of wandering to prepare and transform them to be the people that trusted him. And all the stuff that we learned about that preparation, all that time is culminated in this moment where they're crossing the Jordan into the promised land. The land that God had promised them, God had promised their their ancestor Abraham generations before. And now they're finally there. And they're, they're setting up these stones and God wants them. He's calling them to remember, to create this marker, to remember what he had done for them and how he had brought them into the promised land. What I want us to think about as we examine that is we need to remember how God has been faithful in our lives. It's important. And the reason I bring this up, and I've brought it up before, and I say it a lot, because I need you to know that you live in an American culture. We're about to celebrate, you know, the America Day, you know, freedom and awesome. I love it. I love America. I grew up, like, you can see old pictures of me wearing American flag stuff, running around. I, I'm, I, I used to consider myself Captain America. I mean, I look like him, right? Like, yeah, so. I, I got here, and... I got here and Tyler thought he was Captain America and I had to put him in. No. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a big fan of the country that I'm a part of. I'm a big fan of this country. But one of the things that we do absolutely horribly is remember from the past and learn from it. We are a society that always wants to look forward. And when I say that, some of you are like, darn right we do. You know, like we, we are a forward moving. We're going to progress. We're going to move forward. We're going to conquer the next mountain. Whatever is in front of us, we're going to achieve. We're going to accomplish. We're always moving forward. That's like everyone's business strategy. If this was a business conference, I'd be here and clapping right now because everyone's so excited. Yes, move forward, progress, innovation. The problem with a society that does that, that puts that at the forefront of everything is we don't look back. We don't look back. And part of that, I know it's hard, because looking back sometimes looks back at pain. Looking back sometimes looks back at, at mistakes and shame. And I understand. It's hard to look back sometimes, and we don't want to. We would like to just keep our eyes forward and keep moving forward, but over and over again in the Old Testament, God calls his people to remember. Remember. It's one of the most commonly given commands that God gives it, is to remember He's trying to teach his people, his, his kingdom of priests, to remember the lessons and the way that God had provided for them, the way that God had taken care of them, how he's protected them. He wants them to know that he is there for them, and he will be there for them in the future, and they don't have to worry about what's ahead because they know what's behind, because they are his people, and he is their God. That's what he's trying to instill in them over and over and over again. And I think we as a people, when we read these stories and we talk about this, I think we think, oh, we're on neutral ground. Yeah, I could be better at remembering. We're starting from a deficit. We're starting from a culture and a people that do not look back and do not remember. So if you're thinking, oh, I could do a little bit better at remembering, that's not good enough. You need to be doing a lot better at remembering God's faithfulness. How many of you in this room, I'm going to ask for raised hands here. How many of of you in this room 
can honestly say that God has come through for them at one time or another in their life? Are you prepared to answer when and how? If someone were to ask you right here, right now, give me at least three moments where God has, has come through for you. Are you prepared to answer that? Are you ready? Well, you're better than I expected. That's good. Well, good. In your bulletins, we're going to take this quiz. <laughs> Pop quiz, everybody. There's a, a, there should be a little graphic of a standing stone. Did we get that in there? Yeah. I want you to write at least three. At least three times that if you, if you can honestly say, God has come through for you, I want you to write this down. I want you to remember these moments where God has come through for you. Six significant moments where God has shown up and been faithful to you and gotten you through something in your life. This is what we need to be doing. We need to be remembering better and better in our lives. We need to be setting up these monuments so that we can remember God's faithfulness. And so while this is a good practice to get into is just simply writing down how God has been faithful. I want you to go beyond that. The first command that God gives his people as, he, as they entered the land that he promised them is to remember, to set up a marker so that they would never forget what, where they've come from and what God had done for them, that he had been faithful and brought them into the land that he promised them. We need to be better about this. We need to be better at remembering. We need to be better at setting up these markers to, to remember and memorialize the moment that God had come through for us. Now, you can do this in a few different ways. You can get a big rock <laughs> if you want. If, it, if you put a big rock in front of your house, just stand it up on end. It's probably decently expensive. But if you could, I, I'm sure someone will ask. What's that about? Why, why do you have a big rock in your yard? That's a good way to remember. And it would probably draw your attention as you leave every morning and you remember, you see that rock and go, oh yeah, God's faithful. So you could do that way. You could do with some other things. Um, some people, like I see a lot of people wearing cross necklaces. You ever see someone wearing a cross le- necklace and not acting like a Christian? You ever seen that happen? You're like, um, <laughs> do you? No, okay. <laughs> I think some people wear jewelry or things like that to memorialize a moment and how God has been faithful. So I think you could wear a necklace or something, a, a ring that shows every day as you put it on, God is faithful. And if anyone sees it and asks, hey, why do you wear that? You can say, well, let me tell you the story of how my God came through for me and why I wear this. Uh, Kelly, this one, <laughs> this one might get me in trouble, but you, you can fight me. It's okay. Uh, Kelly last week talked about uh, a tattoo that he has on his arm. And it memorializes a moment. And if you ask him, if you see that tattoo, the first thing you're going to think is, what does that mean? What's that about? And you go ask him and he'll tell you the story. What it means to him. I think tattoos can be, and I know some people are uncomfortable. I'm not recommending this for everybody. But I think they can be a good way to mark a moment. And I know that whenever I see someone with like a cool tattoo, I always ask like, what's that about? And sometimes they're like, it's just a tattoo. (laughs) But sometimes you hear a really cool story. 
of something significant that happens in their lives. So you can do a, a variety of different ways to, to mark a moment and to remember how God has been faithful and how he's been there. I have a few. My name, Corbin. If you didn't know, my name is Corbin. <laughs> uh, C-O-R-B-A-N. And the reason why it's that is because it's in Mark chapter seven eleven. There's a, a verse that says that Corbin means a gift devoted to God. It's a sacrifice. Uh, it's, an, it's a Hebrew word that, that means sacrifice. And the reason why I have my name is because I wasn't supposed to live as a child. I was born uh, with a condition with my, where my mother's blood was attacking my blood, and I wasn't supposed to live. The doctors were explaining that it, there's a high likelihood that I would die. And my father and my mother prayed, and they decided to offer me up as a sacrifice to God and say, okay, God, this is not our child anymore, it's yours. If you choose him to live, he will be your kid. So they named me Corbin, because they didn't want me anymore. <laughs> I was trouble before I even came out into this world. Sorry, Mom and Dad. But I, I, I remember that. It's a memorial moment. So when people call me Corbin, I know that my name means a gift devoted to God. Another thing is my ring. I, I mean, if you've been around long enough and you've known me for a while, uh, you know how desperately I wanted to be married. Like, it was unhealthy. I know. <laughs> I wanted to be married very badly. And it took me a long time. And in fact, I, I made lots of jokes from stage pleading about how I was uh, single and, and ready to start dating, if anyone... Yeah. So, you guys were... Some of you were there. You remember. And then, Isabelle, uh, she she listened to my pleas and finally took pity on me and said, Hey... My sister's also single and desperate, and no. <laughs> she was not. She was not. She was not. Uh, but she, we started a conversation, and God, after years, and I don't get enough credit for this, that I wasn't, I wanted to get married, I wanted to be in a relationship, but I wasn't like desperate to the point where I was just going to do anything. I was waiting for someone special. I, I wanted to find someone special that God wanted for me, and I finally found her. It took me 28 years to find her. I had to move from California to Pullman and meet a girl from Brazil. I don't know how that all, all worked out, but all I know is God is faithful, and I, every time I look at this ring, I don't just think about my commitment to my wife. I also think about God's faithfulness to bring the woman into my life in just the craziest way. There's another... Uh, monument that I've had recently uh, that I wanted to share with you today. When I first came back on staff last September, almost a year ago now, I, uh, I came back and God had been working on my heart this, this sermon series that I wanted to preach through called Fruit Bearing. Because um, I, re- I really wanted to talk about what does it look like to bear spiritual fruit. I think in the American church, because pro- we want to progress, we get this idea that we, we need to manufacture souls you know, like we need to, to create numbers to prove that we're bearing fruit. But I was highlighting in that series that the fruit that God outlines in Scripture that we know about isn't about souls, it's about the fruit of the Spirit. What does it look like to have the Spirit living through you and in you? What, what does displaying God's fruit look like and how do we get it? And so we worked through that series, and in that I, I explained that if you want to have real, genuine, spirit-filled fruit, 
you're going to have some work on your hands. Taking care of something living and real is hard and difficult. And it takes time. You have to be patient. You have to prune. You have to go through different moments. You have to dig ground so that it can, it can grow. You have to take care of it. You have to water it. And in that series, I had a fake tree on one side and a real tree on another that I had bought. Uh, and on the, the fake tree side, I was explaining that this is what many churches do, where we just want to look good on the outside, and we want to match, manufacture it as fast as possible, so we become fake plastic trees, to make it look on the surface as if we're, we're really living and really worshiping God, but there's really no life there, and the Spirit's never going to grow. And the thing that God had been working on my heart during my sabbatical time last year was that I do not want to be a part of that church. I don't care how messy and how ugly and how painful it is. I want to be part of a church that grows, that has real life. That's what I want to be a part of. And if you remember, some of you were here during that series, what happened to the tree? It started to die. <laughs> I learned some lessons about trees, and it turns out they need water and sunlight. Uh, and you can't just leave them in a dark room for a while. It turned out to be a really good analogy, though, of like explaining that that's how not pretty it can get. And how if we neglect anything for any amount of time, we, we will start to die. But I'd still rather be part of that church. I still want to do that. I don't care how easy or how fast it can be to make fake trees. I just have no interest in it. And I wanted us as a church to agree to, to be real with each other even if it's hard, even if we have to show that our leaves aren't so good right now. Well, as it started to die, I got on this stage and I asked, hey, does anyone know how to take care of a dead tree? Um, and a couple of people talked to me. Sarah Hamilton explained to me that I need to encourage it. Uh, so I, uh, I encourage it. That's one of my love languages. Well, it is my love language. So uh, I, that was easy, but I also kind of turned that into, I'm going to pray for this tree. Every week, I'm going to pray for this tree. And then Trish told me, you just need to plant it. Go, go plant it. So I dug some, some dirt out, out back. And it's hard because there's a lot of rocks out there. But I, I spent some time digging and digging and digging until I had enough room for the tree to be able to grow for, for a while. And I, s I actually set up a little monument of the rocks that I had to take the barriers that were in the way of the tree growing. And then later, I put those rocks around the base of the tree to protect it from the frost. There's a lesson there. The, the barriers that were in its way end up protecting it. Because they, yeah, memories. Anyway, this spring, do you want to see the tree? Yeah. Put up the pictures. It's alive! <laughs> it didn't die. I almost cried. <laughs> I went out there even when it was winter and I prayed over the tree. And I kept praying over the tree and there was even two flowers that grew on the tree this year. And it's got a bunch of leaves and I was really excited. So it's right out back and hopefully someday that tree will bear fruit. That's what I was praying, that it would, it would be healthy and that it would bear fruit. What I didn't tell everyone, just because I was afraid the tree would die, was that in my eyes, that tree represented our church. We went through a tough season. Some of you were here for that, and you know what we went through. And we, we had some dead branches and some dead leaves, and it, it didn't look so good. 
And so as I was praying for the tree, I was also praying for our church, that, that God would help the tree become healthy and eventually bear fruit, and that God would help our church become healthy and bear fruit. And so when those leaves blossomed, I was like, ah, oh, God's still here. He's still with us. He's still good. And I've gotten to see that in our church too. It's been so encouraging to me how God has been moving in this place and, and how I can feel and experience his growth. That tree is a monument in my eyes of what God did for our church. And if anyone asks me about it, I will tell them that story. I'll even tell them how I've been talking to a tree for a while. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> but I'm not ashamed of that. I'm really grateful for it. The third thing that happens in this story, the, the second command that God gives his people, is to tell others about it, to tell their children. He tells them that when people see the standing stones and they ask, when the kids ask, what do those stones mean? You tell them the story of how God is faithful, how he held back the waters and brought us into the land that he promised Abraham. What I'm taking from that is that we all, all of us, everybody's eyes up here, I'm used to teaching kids, so I'm, I'm getting your attention here. We all bear the responsibility of sharing God's faithfulness with the next generation. Whether you have kids or not, we all bear that responsibility to share God's faithfulness with the next generation. And to do that, you need to be in a position to share God's faithfulness. What, what God was telling them to do in setting up the standing stones was to create a monument so that when people see it, they'll ask the question. He didn't tell them to write on the stones everything that God had done so that they, people could just like, oh, what do those stones mean? Well, I don't know, just go read it. No. He told them just to stand up stones to ask the questions and then when they asked, in relationship, they had to respond with the answer. It was a personal testimony. We need to be in that position where we have on display God's faithfulness in our lives and we need to be in a position where we can have an impact on the next generation so that they can ask questions about what these things mean to us, what God means to us, how God has come through. And we can tell them our story. That doesn't mean go to the high school or middle school with a megahorn and start yelling at kids that they're going to hell. I want to be very clear about that. Some people take that the wrong way. It doesn't mean handing out tracts. Some people think handing out tracts are fine. But you know what? You know what's on the tracts? All the stuff you're supposed to be telling them. God is telling us, his people, that they are supposed to share God's faithfulness. The monument's not supposed to, to tell the testimony of God's faithfulness. You are. And that's the only way it's ever going to be effective. You ever hang out with a kid, you know it's not good enough just to hand them something. You ever seen what a kid will do with a textbook on their own? They will not read it. But if you walk them through with it, well, there's some kids that are, are, are nerdy, you know. Not me, no. But there, when you hand them something, you're supposed to walk them through it and tell the story of how God has been faithful in your life. And I get it, I know. This is, a, this is a hard one to, to bear because kids are weird. 
especially the new generation. I hang out with them all the time. They're always doing like Fortnite dances and stuff and dabbing. They don't dab anymore. But they're weird. I get it. It's, it's strange. If, the, if that was the first time you ever saw one of those, some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what is going on? They do that. It's strange. It's hard to connect sometimes with this next generation. And I understand it's, it's difficult. But those kids, this, this generation coming up, they need God's truth more now than ever. They are coming into a difficult world to hear and understand their value and their identity. And they don't need adults shouting on Facebook. You know where kids are? Not on Facebook. <laughs> you can't type on Facebook and reach the next generation. You got to interact with them. You got to get to know them. As a as a youth pastor for a long time, I got asked a question a lot. Why don't the kids come to church? And my response is, why doesn't the church go to them? It's not their responsibility to come to you. It's your responsibility to go to them. You're supposed to be the one in the position to answer their questions. And I tell you, I, I know that our kids would feel more comfortable coming to a church where they have relationships with some of you. We're, we need to be in a position to impact the next generation, and I'm charging that to you. Whether that's here or some other church that you're a part of, get involved. These kids need relationship, and they need to hear stories. They need to be able to ask questions. And if you start a relationship with them, it's not that hard. All you have to do is say, like, hey, how's it going? What's your name? Where are you from? You get to know them. You establish a relationship. They will start to see that you care and at some point, I guarantee you this, because they always do it to me, they'll ask you, why do you follow God? Why are you here? What does this mean to you? Just like God had said that their kids would do to the Israelites, they will ask that question. When they see, how, when they see that you care about them, they will ask to care what you know. You know they will, they will, they will want to know what you have to say. And they'll ask, and you cannot answer, this is what God has done for me. That's all you have to do. It's not rocket science. It's just you being in a position to develop relationship with them and answer their questions when they come. I, uh, this church has been really good and generous in a lot of ways, and I've been very grateful. We have a ton of people that will pray for the kids, a ton of people that will give money. If I ask for $10,000 right now, I, I'm pretty sure I can make it because of all of you. You're generous. I know that. They don't need your money or your prayers right now. They need your time and attention. That's what they need right now. So I'm, I'm asking you, church, to start investing in the youth in this community. Put yourself in a position, develop authentic relationship, and share about God's faithfulness when you get a chance. So this, this is our three things from this morning. Learn to trust God, not just enough to cross the Jordan, but to wait in it. Remember God's faithfulness in your life and create monuments to remind yourself and your family of how good your God is. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.